Thanks, James. Oh, let's give James a hand. He's so helpful, such a servant. I don't know what to do without them. Imagine me carrying all of this stuff up and a couple of tables. Um, welcome to everybody uh, who's joining us online and to everybody who's uh, in the room. If uh, I don't know you, I've never met you. My name's uh, Vaughan. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, next to me is my amazingly beautiful wife, Lorelei. She leads Sitting City Woman. And it's a, real, it's a real treat for us to be able to uh, share God's word with you uh, today. We don't take it lightly. We uh, don't often get opportunity to do it together. But we really are so grateful uh, that we're getting to do that today. And uh, we are really just continuing a series that Duncan kicked off last week. That series is a series called In His Image. And it's really a series where we're taking some time to look at God's design, living in His, his, his design, manhood, womanhood, relationships. And so uh, it's, a, it's a big topic. Laurelanne and myself are going to be looking at uh, manhood today. Ne- uh, next week, we'll be looking at womanhood. And um, we're specifically looking at manhood and womanhood. I don't want you to think, oh, well, that's a married couple up there, and so we're going to be talking about marriage. We'll touch on it. But um, it's so important to recognize that sometimes we define ourselves by I'm single, I'm married, or I'm widowed. When God actually looks at us and he knows all of those things, but at the heart of who we are, we're created male or female. And he's wanting us to embrace who we are in every single season um, of that life might throw at us, whether we're single, married, or widowed one day. So the key text when it comes to, to the series, or one of the key texts, is Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28. If you have your Bibles, uh, won't you turn there, or just follow with me up on the screens, maybe your devices if you've got that. Genesis 1, 26 to 28. It says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Before we get into talking about manhood today, I just want to recap a little bit of what Duncan uh, helped us to see last week as we looked at this text. And can I just say this? I want to strongly urge you. I don't want to encourage you. I want to strongly urge you, if you missed uh, last week's preach, uh, to go and catch up on our YouTube channel. There's a conversation going on in society um, that we uh, are talking about really in these next four weeks, but we're talking on it from God's perspective so that we can be a people who hold true to God's truth. And so I want to encourage you, if you have never uh, uh, listened to it last week yet or weren't here, go and catch up. But Duncan helped us to see last week three things, really. We saw that the God who created the universe is the God who who, who created men and women with one image, one image to bear. To bear his likeness and to bear his image. We also saw that this God created two genders, masculine and feminine, or two sexes, male and female. And we saw that God created one design for sexual intimacy. 
That design is sex within marriage between a natural man and a natural woman. That was God's good design, His perfect design. It's affirmed, yeah, in this text in Genesis. It's affirmed again by Jesus in the Gospels. And it's the position that we affirm as elders at City Hope Church because it's a biblical position. It's God's position. And so God created everything, and it was good. It was perfect. He created men and women, and he says they were very good. But then we know that something came and marred that goodness, that picture. Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They disobeyed God, and as a result, brokenness and sin came into the world. And as a result, every single one of us is affected, and every single one and every single area of our life is affected, including these areas, gender, sex, identity. Those areas are corrupted because of Adam and Eve's disobedience. You see, Adam and Eve chose to do what was right in their own eyes rather than what was right in God's eyes. Adam and Eve chose to embrace their truth, which was a broken truth, rather than God's good, perfect truth. Adam and Eve chose to rub out God's boundaries, cross that boundary, when those boundaries that God had put there were actually there for their flourishing. We do the same today. We want what we want. We don't want what God wants. We don't really give much thought to how God designed things. We don't think about what God says will bring blessing or curse. We want what we want. That's the bad news for us as the human race. God created everything perfect. We messed it up. Sin and brokenness came into the world. But there's good news because God didn't leave us there. We see God's heart towards us. Adam and Eve then, and we see God's heart towards you and me today. When we mess up, when we want to do our own thing, we see uh, what God did with Adam and Eve, he does with us today too. When we look at the story of Adam and Eve, we see that God comes to them. He's still wanting relationship with them in the garden. He hasn't written them off. That's an incredible thing. After what they'd done, he could have written them off, but he never Not only that, but he covers their shame. He clothes them. And then not only that, he makes them a promise. He promises them a deliverer who will crush the serpent, the enemy who brought the lies and deception into the garden in the first place. He says he's going to send the deliverer knowing full well that that deliverer is going to be his son. That that deliverer is going to come into a world full of brokenness and sin to be killed by sinful mankind, so that we can have relationship again with God, so that our brokenness can be healed, our sin can be forgiven, and so that you and I as men and women, as male and female, are able to live or have any hope of living according to God's original design. As we look at manhood today, the question we are hoping to answer is, What does biblical manhood look like? Or said in a different way, how do we as men sitting in this room, listening online, how do we as men live according to God's original standard and design for us? 
And we're going to look at it under two headings. The first is stereotype men. And the second is Jesus type men. These are just the names that I've given these stereotype men, but I'm sure you'll be able to relate. The first is the warrior man. A lean, mean, fighting machine like Josh that was up here just now. God, and wonder why some men question and think to themselves, maybe I am actually gay. Is there any wonder why men suffer, and, uh, suffer alone with increasing numbers of depression and uh, burnout because they don't feel like they can go and speak to someone uh, where they can be heard because it's going to be a sign of weakness and it's going to be a sign of not being tough enough? Surely. Surely God, when he had in his mind to create men, had a better picture than just these stereotypes. Surely he had more in mind for us as men living in this city, in this uh, era, than just these stereotypes that we so often run after. Again, I want to say they're not bad in and of themselves. It will be really nice if you can change a tire. If you're able to start a bry. But sometimes nobody's ever taken the time to teach us because we haven't had fathers in our lives that are able to do that. Sometimes our perspective can so much be, well, I had that, you should be able to do that. No. So it's not bad in and of themselves, but it's very limiting, very restricting. Some of those things, if we hold dear to them, are going to leave us living down here when it comes to God's uh, plan for our lives as men versus up here. Grant said something really uh, helpful when we were speaking about this and going through it in our preach uh, team meeting during the week. He said it's like having the fastest, most powerful car in the world. And yet, we are, we are only driving it in first and second crazy. A crazy thought. We never get out of second. Well, God if, is saying to us, if we are men that are holding fast to these stereotypes, 
are merely just men who are functioning at first and second. Not bad in and of themselves, but there's more for us. It's time to come out of first and second gear, guys, and to move into the higher gears, to uh, believe God for more, to, uh, to be a part of, of, of something bigger, to be a part of the purposes of God, to be about the cause of God in the earth, to be men that are biblical men, men that embrace our original design that he created us for. Ladies, I don't want to let you off the hook here. I wonder when you think about manhood. Like I said, some of these traits are not bad in and of themselves. But I wonder whether these are the only traits that you define men by. I want to encourage you as we continue to look at uh, today's preach to embrace a much wider, bigger picture, God's picture for us as men. And if you have the, 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 the privilege of being able to nurture uh, men in your life in whatever shape or form that might look like, I want to encourage you to nurture them towards the big uh, reason why God put them on the earth. Nurture them towards that as godly uh, women. So that is stereotype men. What do Jesus type men look like? We're going to look at this under two headings. The first is uh, men who embrace a new identity. And the second is uh, men who act like men. So men, if you are to be Jesus type men, that it is important for you to embrace this new identity. And for you to understand where your sense of identity comes from, and it's from God himself, that you are made in his image. And so we're going to have a look at that from Genesis 1, 26 to 28. And uh, Vaughan's read that passage already, and I won't read it again, but it's, as we said, where God created them male and female in his image and then commanded them to have stewardship over the earth. And so what does it mean to be an image bearer? It simply means that we will res res sorry, resemble God. So man reflects certain aspects of God, and women reflect certain aspects of God's character. And together, we portray a more complete picture of who God is to the world. So if God is spirit, then how is it that we are his image bearers? How do we reflect or resemble him to the world? Well, we display certain of his attributes because of how he's made us and what he's put inside of us. We display certain attributes of who God is to the world. And we do that in three ways, mentally, morally, and socially. So mentally, we have the ability to reason and to make choices. So anytime somebody uses their intellect to either design something or to solve a maths problem or to paint a picture or even a doctor to, um, to, to treat someone, to bring them to healing, as we use our intellect, we are displaying something of who God is. Then morally, we are created in righteousness and perfect, or we were created in righteousness and perfect in innocence, which reflects God's holiness and perfection. So our conscience or our moral compass shows that we are created in the image of God. And originally, we had a perfect moral state. But unfortunately, as we said, sin corrupted that. But thankfully, Jesus came back to earth to restore that sense of righteousness 
to us. So whenever somebody has a disdain for evil or appreciates good behavior or feels guilty for bad behavior, that is a sign that their conscience or our conscience shows us then that we are made in the image of God. Then socially, we were created for relationship. Just as the Trinity is in relationship, we too have the ability to be in relationship and interact socially. So every time that we make a friend, every time that somebody gets married, or we gather together like this in community, in church, or in other communities, we are showing that we have an aspect of God's nature and character in us, and we reflect that to the world. But I want you to notice something else. We are made in His image to bear His image in two ways. Firstly, as individuals. We are created as individuals to be image bearers. And then we are united in marriage to be image bearers. I've read this passage so many times. And in the last couple of weeks when I read it, I saw something that I've never seen before. In Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27, it says this, that God created us in His image. And then He, he gives us this command to steward the earth. And then further on in, in chapter, uh, sorry, verse 28, he says that he created a man and woman for one another. He says, uh, be fruitful and multiply. So what I want you to see is that first and foremost, we are cre created to be image bearers as individuals. We were made perfect and complete as man and woman, and God wants to use us as such. And it is through God creating us that we received our sense of worth and our dignity. And it is because God made us for himself, because he created us, and because he made us for himself, that we get that sense of worth and sense of identity as individuals from him. So we were created according to his design as man and woman, different but equal. So biologically we are different. Psychologically we are wired differently. But we were given the same instruction, and that was to be his image bearers in the world and also to steward the creation. So it is not only in the marriage relationship, it's not only for marriage, as Vaughan said, but as men and women, as individuals, living out our purpose in the world, that we show the world what God is like. So first of all, it's as individuals, and then later on, like I said, it says, God says to them, be fruitful and multiply, and then they are united in marriage, and that marriage then shows another aspect of who God is and portrays that to the world. And then in Genesis 2, you can go and read that. It says there, it, it gives us a more detailed account of how God created Adam and Eve, so he first formed the man, and then he said, it's not good for you to be alone. And because Adam was naming all the animals and he couldn't find a suitable helper for himself, God said, I will create a suitable helper for you. And so God causes him to go into sleep, takes out his rib, and he creates Eve. And when Adam sees her, he breaks out into song, which men should do because we are just so amazing, aren't we? It's where we are worth singing about, aren't we? And so he's very excited that he sees this beautiful woman, and um, he's got a companion for life. 
So this shows us through the marriage relationship how God relates to his people. So just as a husband and wife are in covenant relationship with one another, God is in covenant relationship with us, his people. And that reflects his Christ's love for the church. We read that in Ephesians 5, 25 and 32. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So marriage is a picture of how Christ loves the church. So we know that, as we said, this image has been marred. So we are not as able as individuals to reflect God perfectly. And in our marriages, we are not able to reflect God perfectly unless we are in Christ and that image has been restored. Because it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So as we are in Christ now, we are able to reflect God as individuals and then also in our marriage relationships. How amazing is it that God would create male and female, you and me, in order to reflect Him? Can you imagine the responsibility? Can you imagine the privilege? And yet He's put it in our hands. I wonder how we're doing. Whose image are we displaying? Is it just a stereotype image? Or is it His image? Is it His image that his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, the fact that he moves into our chaos. Is it that image that you and I are displaying? What a privilege to be a people who reflect his likeness. And so Jesus type men embrace a new identity, but they don't just embrace a new identity. They act like men. I find the passage in Kings, 1 Kings and 1 Corinthians very instructive uh, when it comes to how I think God wants us as men uh, to be those godly men that he desires. It's almost like for me this passage strips away all of the things that we can so easily debate on. They're not unimportant, but we can sometimes get stuck there and reduces it to the bare minimum or the most important thing, which is the heart that then enables us to do all of the things uh, that God calls us to as men. David is speaking to his son Solomon, and in 1 Kings 2, verse 1 to 3, it says this, When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon his son. I am about to go the way of all the earth, he said, so be strong, act like a man. And observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him. Keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations. As written in the law of Moses, do this so that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you go. Same sentiment is echoed in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 13. Paul speaking to the men in in, in Corinth. He says this, be careful, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. David instructs his son Solomon. Paul instructs the men here in Corinth to act like men. Now he's calling them to be strong. He's calling them to protect. He's calling them to lead most definitely. 
But there's more to it than just what we read sometimes on a surface level with the semantics that we would sometimes use. And so what does it look like to act like men, guys? I think it looks like this. The first thing that it looks like is it looks like redefined strength. David takes some time to instruct his son's heart. I want you for a moment maybe to just picture the scene, what it might have been like. He's obviously coming to the end of his days. He's wanting to um, speak some courage into his son. Can you imagine being Solomon? Your dad has been a good king. The people have loved him. He's won many a battle. He took out Goliath. And you're having to follow in his footsteps. Can you imagine what it might have been like to think, will I, uh, I hit the mark? Will I be able to walk as well as what my dad did? Would I be able to be a king like my dad? He's probably feeling like, shish, I feel a little bit out of my depth. But he knows he's going to be king. And then you've got David, and he knows what it's actually like to be king. He's not just a king by name. A king has got a nice title and lives for himself. He's a king who served the people. He's a king who never just served the people, but reflected the God of heaven to the people, to the nation of Israel, and to those in other nations. He was an image bearer of the great king, God himself. So redefined strength. David must have known what a mammoth task his son Solomon had before him. You see, David would have known what it was like for people to think you're the most powerful king, but to wake up as a king on any given morning and feel like you're actually quite weary. Your heart is weighed down, you're disillusioned. And you're feeling weak. David would have known what it's like to be a king, where people um, hold you in high regard. And yet your behavior in the last couple of days have been anything but a king, what a king's behavior should have been. Especially not a king who's meant to be representing God himself. And what does he say? What does he say to his son, Solomon. He says this, before he says anything else, he says, so be strong. He says, Solomon, my boy, be strong. That word strong means to grow strong. Grow firm. Be strengthened. It's not talking about being strengthened externally. It's talking about being strengthened internally. That, 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 that word grow strong, grow firm, implies an ongoing process it's not a once in a lifetime, okay, now I'm that person. It's an ongoing process. And you would have seen with that verse, there's some things that he has to do in order to, to uh, obey God, and we'll get to that just now. But th th there's almost implied you need to remember who God is. You need to remember what God says in order to do that, but it's not just in order to do. It's in order so that your heart can be strengthened God is wanting our hearts as men to be strengthened. You see, David knew that um, the task that lay before his son was too big. It wasn't going to take physical strength. It wasn't going to take um, a strength of an army behind him. It was going to need and require heart strength. And that is what David is saying to his son Solomon. Be strong. Get some heart strength. Remember my words so that you can be strengthened in your heart, my son. 
in some ways, I think on another, another level, uh, David is trying to help his son see that before God is so concerned about what he's going to do as king, he's concerned about him as the one who is the king. He's concerned about him personally. There's some men here today, and it doesn't matter, you might be the strongest guy, you might not uh, be the strongest person, you might tick all the boxes for some of those stereotype attributes I mentioned earlier on, you might tick none. But one thing I know for us as guys, it doesn't matter what those stereotype things look like, when it comes to our hearts feeling weary and weak, there's no answer for that. There's only one answer for weak hearts and weary hearts. It's to remember what God says. It's to remember what it is that God would say to us. And he's encouraging his son to remember God's truth. Solomon, remember what God says about you. Remember what God says about life. Remember what God says about how you ought to live life. Why? Because he's wanting his son's life to be one that is prosperous, not in terms of lots of wealth, but in terms of purpose and, uh, and joy and hope and peace. David is saying uh, to be strong is to have hearts strengthened in God. It's a redefined strength. But it doesn't stop there. He wants us to also have hearts strengthened for God, guys. Heart strengthened in God and heart strengthened for God. That brings me to my next point, and that is observe truth. Verse 3 says, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him. Keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go. He wants Solomon not only to be someone who remembers truth so that his heart can be strengthened. He wants Solomon to remember truth so that he can walk out truth. Why is it important for us to walk out truth? Because God is wanting us as uh, men who know him to walk out his likeness and his image in our daily lives. He's wanting people in our lives to be touched with the love, grace, and mercy of God, with the great purpose of God for every single uh, one of us. He's wanting us as men to live in that space. That word observe means to keep God's law and way, to be alert, watch out, because why? People like you and I are going to try and twist God's law and way. Preserve it. Guard his way. It wasn't good then and it's not good now. It's always good. It's always perfect. Obey God's word in the way we live and in the way that we treat others. I hope you're seeing something. I hope you're seeing what it's uh, like to be a godly man. To be men who act like men. It's not having a girlfriend, it's not having a wife, it's not being the CEO of a company, it's not having a brilliant job, it's not even having children. All of those give us opportunity to reflect and show ourselves as godly men, but it's not what defines us as godly men. What defines us as godly men is men who would remember what God says and do what God says. God is wanting us to be those who would reflect his hope to a broken world. To a broken world. His hope came to us if we know Jesus today. And we want his hope to come to others because we want to see people's lives changed. 
And so we act like men when we have a redefined strength, when you observe truth. And really, we act like men when we live by God's design. These two previous points speak into that, but I think it's more fundamental just than that. God has hardwired us as guys um, in, in, in a very specific way. Um, there's a word used for the, for, for the word male in Genesis. The Hebrew word for male is zakar. This uh, word zakar, when it's used as a verb, interestingly means to remember. Think about what David just said. What we've just been looking at, to remember. It's the same word that's used when Israel says, God, remember your covenant. This word remember is almost always attached to an action. So when God says, I heard your cry, I remembered my promise or my covenant, I'm sending a deliverer. It's a, it's, a, it's a remembering that causes action. It's a remembering that says, I'm not going to just remember, I'm going to act on this. Because why? It's going to bring hope into my world. Larry Crabb says it like this. He says, when referring to Zachar in our manhood, he says this, males are those who remember truth, who remember what is important, which then moves them to do something important, to move into disorder and create order, to move into situations with life-changing impact. Sounds like God moving into the uh, garden when Adam and Eve are hiding. Sounds like God remembering his promise to Adam and Eve and sending his son as a deliverer so that we can have a relationship with God, our brokenness can be healed, our sin can be forgiven. Is there any wonder why men who are image bearers of this God would be called to remember God? and then to obey what it is that uh, we remember, to actually move with action, to move into our world so that uh, order can come to chaos, so that light can come to darkness, so that hope can come to hopelessness. God is wanting us to be men that remember him, and then that causes us to do something important. What are some of the uh, important things men can do when they remember what God's word says. I'm going to just rattle through a, a, a couple here, but here's the first one. When it comes to interaction with women, they can use their manly strength to treat women with respect, to protect them, not abuse them. When it comes to family, they can honor their parents. If married, they can love their wives as Christ loved the church. If a dad, they can train their children in the instruction of the Lord. And even if you don't have biological children, you've heard of the opportunities of adopting a son and discipling them and being a father to them. You know, Paul says of Timothy that you are my true son in the faith. And so maybe it's time, guys, to find some younger men that are fatherless and be a father to them. They can do their best to provide for their family. When it comes to life goals, they can seek to be men after God's heart. They can seek to do the works of Je that Jesus has prepared in advance for them to do. When it comes to the daily walk with Jesus or their daily walk with Jesus, they can study God's word so that they can apply it correctly to their own lives and help others to do the same. 
They can be devoted to prayer. They can choose to submit to God and resist temptation when it comes their way. When it comes to church, they can serve others with their gifts. When it comes to spaces, places, and relationships, they can do their work as if working unto the Lord. They can share the gospel. They can be full of mercy to those in need. They can forgive when they fa- sorry, people when they fail them and not take revenge. When others are in danger, they can move to protect them, just as Jesus laid down his life for us. I just want to share a story on that uh, last one. Move to protect. The story about a dad in Canada. His 14-year-old daughter came to him, wanting to have a sex change with forms in her hand that she wanted him to sign. He refused. He was taken to court and he was accused of family violence. Spent two years in jail and when somebody asked him, why did you do that? Why didn't you just sign the form? He said, when my 14-year-old daughter is 21 and she comes to me and says, where were you? Where were you, Dad? When I needed you to protect me, I'm going to be able to say I was right there. I was right there. God is wanting us to be a man who will protect those who are weaker than us. God is wanting us to be men that will move into the chaos in our world. God is wanting us to, to be strong, not strong, but to be strong who, men who are principled, with integrity, will fight for things that really, really matter, rather than for things that can be so trivial so often. The deal, though, is, is that we're not perfect men. We are still corrupted by the fall. God has given us opportunity to have that image restored so that we can better represent Jesus, but we're not perfect. We need to grow in our ability to be godly men. Two, two areas where I think uh, we can do that very quickly. The one is community. I would encourage you to go and read Psalm uh, one, the whole lot, but I'm going to just pull out one verse. It says this in verse one, blessed is the man who does not walk in step with the wicked. Some translations say blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. I want to ask you, who are you walking in step with? Whose voices are you listening to most of the time? Are they godly voices or are they ungodly voices? Maybe there's no godly voices speaking into your life. It's going to be very difficult to live out uh, biblical manhood if there's no godly voices speaking into your life. I want to encourage you as men to commit to community. Commit to being in church. Commit to getting into a city group if you're able to. Commit to coming to something like a men's breakfast, a place where you're able to hear where there are other men that struggle just like you, but they, where, where you can get a godly perspective rather than a fatalistic perspective, a godly perspective of how can I do life so my life can be lived with purpose and can result in other people's lives changing. Community, very important. And lastly, practicing repentance. David, the man that we just read about instructing his son Solomon, was a man just like you and I, able to fall into sin and did. When Nathan called that sin out, or more importantly, when God called that sin out through Nathan, 
the sin with Bathsheba. David very quickly repented. New Testament tells us then about what David was like. It says he was a man after God's own heart, and he served God's purposes in his generation. And I believe today God is wanting to say, won't you be men, godly men, men after my own heart, men who would serve my purpose in, in, in your generation? Won't you be men who will remember my word so that you can be strengthened? Won't you be men who will then remember my word so that you can do it, so that you can uh, bring it, bring hope into the places, spaces, and relationships where you find yourself? We're going to take some time to pray for some men. I'm going to uh, just, just share some areas where I think we might need some prayer. We're going to all stand up just now. Then I want to invite you as men to say, Lord, that's me. If you feel comfortable raising your hand, then do that. Just say, Lord, pray for me in this area. Um, so we're going to list a couple. Firstly, um, we don't get to walk in godly manhood uh, just because Jesus died on the cross. We get to live and walk in godly manhood when we receive Jesus. When we receive his forgiveness, when we receive his mercy, and today he is saying, I am a merciful savior. You are a sinner, but I'm wanting to forgive you. What do we need to do, men? We need to turn to him in repentance. Ask him to come into our life. Surrender to him. And then there's some men here today, and you've thought you're not a real man because you don't fit all the stereotypes. God is saying to you, don't limit what I've created you as. It's time to come out of first and second gear and to live for more. It's time to live at my best for you. It's going to take uh, you surrendering to me and me walking alongside you, but I'm there to help you. And he is. There's some of you here that never had a godly father figure in your life. And so you think you're disqualified from being maybe a father yourself or a husband yourself. But God is saying to you today, won't you allow me to heal the brokenness that you feel? Won't you help me to restore you so that you can be the man that I created you to be? Orale. I want to speak to the guys right now. And I want to, on behalf of women, I want to ask you guys, if you'll look at me, I'm going to ask the men in this room, if you will forgive us as women, For often, not treating you as the image bearers that you are, with the honor and the respect that you deserve. We have often belittled you and your person, and we have belittled your ability. We have pushed you down, and I want to ask you to forgive us today. And if you can think of somebody, somebody specific in your life that you need to forgive, a woman that has done that. But even in society, we have done that to you. And I want to say we're sorry. And I don't want you to live under that anymore as godly men. That God would raise you up to be all that he destined for you to be. And woman, if you're here and you're guilty of that today, I'm guilty of that. I've dishonored my husband on not more than one occasion. I've had to repent of that. Will you have the courage today to say sorry to God and maybe go and say sorry to a brother or a husband or a friend and say sorry that I have pulled you down instead of seeing you for who you are, 
We are God's image bearers, and he wants us to love and respect and treat one another as such. He said, if we need to repent of something like that today, do that and go and say your sorries if you have to. And may God change our hearts that we would honor one another as we should. Now ask us to stand. God's been speaking. You know what he might have been speaking to you about? I want to be the man that God wants me to be. I haven't arrived. I'm still a work in progress. All of us are, but God's been speaking maybe specifically to your heart on one of those things that we mentioned now during the preach. If you feel comfortable as guys, I'm going to ask you just to, to uh, lift your uh, hands. Um, if God's been speaking to you, and Lorelai's going to pray first, and then I'll pray. Lord, I want to pray for the men in this room. I thank you for them, Lord. Thank you for them. Thank you that you created them. You created them in your image, and you love them. And Lord, I want to pray for those that have felt pushed down and knocked down, Lord, that feel small on the inside. And Lord, I pray today that you would lift them up and that you would remind them that they are amazing in your sight. You love them. You created them. And Lord, they are not small in your sight. You see them as your son. You see them with a sense of destiny. And so, Lord, where there is a brokenness in their heart, I pray that you would restore and that you would heal and that you would be the lifter of their heads and you would raise them up, Lord, into the fullness of all that you have for them. And Lord, I pray for those that struggle with pride and that are domineering, Lord, that actually long to be Jesus-type men. I pray for them today too that maybe they actually domineer people because they feel they have to prove themselves in some way and they don't have that sense of worth that comes from you. I wanna to pray today for such a shift in their hearts that they will be Jesus type men that have a meekness and a humility that is like yours, Lord. But you work in their hearts, you change them, you set them free. You help them to see themselves as you see them, that they are loved that they are precious, Lord, and that you have a purpose for their lives. So, Lord, you know how to minister to, into each man's heart today. You know what they need. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do that. You would set them free from lies. You would set them free from any bondage right now. And that they would be raised up in this church and in this nation to be the men that you destined them to be. Yeah. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, we want, to, we want to say thank you this morning for Jesus. We want to say thank you so much, uh, Lord, that uh, you, you, you call us, you cover us, you purpose us. Lord, I want to pray for any single uh, man in this, in this room. Lord, that you would help us to be the men uh, that don't function at first and second gear. But Lord, uh, that are the men that uh, you want us to be. Lord, embracing everything that you have for us. Lord, I want to pray for men in this place who feel like uh, they have not been able to do that for whatever reason. Lord, I want to pray today that they would uh, have a new um, view of what it is to be a man, man, Lord. Yes, maybe physically strong, but more importantly, a redefined strength, a strength that comes from God and is for God. Lord, we pray for that in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for myself. I pray for us as men in this room right now, men online. Lord, I pray that we would be those men who make a difference in our world because we, because we are prepared to believe God, because we're prepared to believe how God has made us and what God would have us do. Lord, I pray that we would bring um, order into the chaos. 
Lord, that we would bring healing into the brokenness. Lord, we would bring light into the darkness. Why, Lord? Because we are great. No, because you are great, God. Lord, you've asked us to come alongside you and to work with you. And Lord, that's what we want to do. We want to be co-workers with the God of heaven in, in the trenches of the earth. Why, Lord? Because we want people to come to know you. We want people to come to know your love, your forgiveness, your original design. Lord, won't you help us today to take that step, God? If it's a step for the first time of putting my faith in Jesus, Lord, I pray, Lord, save many in this place today. Lord, save them for your purposes and because you love them. In Jesus' wonderful name. We're going to sing a song. Um, we sang it earlier on. We are chosen. We are His. We are who He, who he says we are. He has set us free. Let's sing as free men this morning.